0: Today, we're doing part two of Johnny Llama
1: with Grady Hendrix, with Grady
0: Hendrix. There's going to be four parts and because he talked a lot. I was going to say,
1: wow, y'all had a long conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was it was an hour long and I was just like, just go ahead. I mean, he's a talker. Yes. And I'm just like, go ahead. You know, it's better if you just say, just keep talking. So for an hour straight, he was talking.
1: And we are going to go see him again Mm -hmm. uh, in about a week and a half. So he's like back in the Charleston area um, doing a show, different show than what we saw before. So uh, we'll get to see him and support him again in person. We're going to go with Jen and it'll be a great time.
0: Yeah. And for you guys that listen to our other podcast, Talk Murder to Me, you will like this episode because this is the true crime version of horror paperbacks. And like I said, we're interviewing Grady Hendrix today. He's the author of this book. One of your all
1: time faves.
0: Yeah. And many others. I had this way before. I actually like knew that he even lived in Charleston. We're going to be going over this. This is what I interviewed him about. These paperbacks from hell. The twisted history of 70s and 80s horror fiction. I mean, he is the expert. All things horror fiction from the 80s.
1: Do you have any that are actually in that book?
0: Yeah, I've got a few. A lot of them are kind of hard to find, but there's a few I have. Like, for instance, um, hmm. I've got uh, The Sentinel.
1: Oh, okay. All right.
0: Yeah. And I've got... uh, uh, um The Omen Okay. This is one I want called Spawn.
1: Wow, that is a terrifying book cover.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I've got a lot Let's see of See if them.
1: we can find that one. Who's it by?
0: Um, it's by Sean Hut, Hudson, H U T son, Hut son,
1: S H A W N. Huh? How do you spell Sean?
0: Oh, S H A U N. He's the author of slugs and breeding ground. Unwanted. They die. Unborn. They live.
1: Wow. So that edition, uh, the cheapest we can seem to find it is 140 bucks.
0: That seems about right.
1: Some going on there. One's probably, on there for $764.
0: It's probably not in great shape either. Nope, nope. So anyway, we're going to be doing that tonight. I am super excited. This is part two. And this is a book that you need to have on your shelf. This is like the book. If you're into horror. And I did ask him tonight.
1: Horror. Horror. If
0: you're into horror. Or. <laughs> horror or horror. horror. How, wait, how do you say it?
1: Horror. 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 Not quite. But <laughs> we'll just add that to the list of things John can't pronounce <laughs> quite
0: right. Horror. Can I just say scary books? Yes. Okay, I asked him about horror and true crime because I've always felt personally that they're related and and he agreed too, which is why when I started doing true crime and reading all the true crime, like I don't want to on my leisure leisure time read about someone getting murdered and raped, like in real life. Like, so I turned to right. horror because you know, it's like fictional and then there can be goblins and shit in too you know
1: okay so you're you're down with like fantasy type no
0: well, no i wouldn't say fantasy that's not.
1: you're like let's not go too far not
0: like dragons and stuff anyway i asked him
1: supernatural you're cool with
0: Mm -hmm. i had asked him about the link if there is a link between horror and true crime and let's hear what he said
2: i mean listen i mean you've been to a lot of used bookstores they're shelved right next to each other yeah oh yeah yeah that's a good point yeah and usually then erotica is on the other side <laughs> of <so> trouble. probably. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, yeah. well, it's interesting, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've got this book coming out in um, April, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, yeah. and a lot of the vampire in it is based on, I don't, I'm sure you do because you're doing true crime in Charleston, but Duncan Proctor, the serial racer, he was 90 through and was arrested in, I think, June of 92 and so that was, I graduated from high school in 91, I guess. And I remember it was like, it was terrifying in Charleston. Like there were, he raped 27 women in two years. Oh I mean, and, and it was all, I mean, there was a woman, Karen Jacobs, who he raped her 13 year old daughter and then came back five months later and raped Karen. Um, and her daughter would later commit suicide, uh, with a gun that a neighbor had given them in case he came, in case Duncan Proctor came back to protect themselves with. I mean, it was this really, I mean, he wreaked untold havoc in Charleston. And, and I remember, I mean, he was, I remember there was one of the cases where he was, um, there were people downstairs having dinner, and someone went to use the upstairs bathroom and he came in through the window and raped her. It was like.
0: We're going to talk about this guy, um, Duncan Proctor. We haven't talked about him yet. No. But I think I need a beer if we're going to, just going to jump into that. <laughs> I forgot this was the true crime section of horror, so huh. I'm going to grab one. It
2: really was this terrifying feeling. Um, and so I feel like women grow up right next. The horror, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, even if even if sexual assault is not something that's happened to you or someone, you know, even if, you know, you get through your childhood without being molested yeah. by a relative, you grow up knowing that if you ever have a baby, you're going to go through an intensely gory and painful physical experience <laughs> that most guys only experience when they see a Cronenberg movie. Like, you know, I feel like women just live next door to this bodily reality, hmm. and they live in sort of the shadow of the fact that, of, you know, uh, of crimes committed against them that I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't be fascinated by horror and true crime. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, That's a great you, you grow up around play. cars, you're probably going to be a fan of NASCAR. You spend your childhood watching wrestling, you're probably going to be a fan of MMA when you grow up. Like, yeah. you know, like you, you're you into Star Trek, you'll become an astronomer. Like, you know, I feel like it's it's really a natural genre for women. And I feel like horror is really a woman's genre. I mean, you know, Mary Shelley wrote the first book of, of this considered horror yeah. still widely read today. I mean, all the 19th century, or most of the big 19th century horror writers were women. Hmm. Um, you know, and... You know, the 80s had Stephen King, but it also had Anne Rice and B.C. Andrews. So it's kind of like, I feel like horror has always been big for women. And, and I feel like true crime is very horror adjacent.
0: Jason. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: That is very interesting that he makes a connection about, like, the goriness of childbirth and being horrific. Yeah. That's, no, uh, I see that, That's yeah. actually really interesting. But he's got a point. Like, women are, you know, victims of crimes all over the place. And that is horror for us. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, Mary Shelley Frankenstein—
1: realize that that was considered like the first horror book
0: no it no not the first horror b- or book I, is that what he said
1: That's- that's what he
0: said. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. So I've always noticed that, too. And it also kind of goes with true crime because, dude, I see this all the time. I see this all the time doing true crime podcast. It's this the article titles are all the same and the articles are all the same. And they all say, what's our fascination with true crime? Stop stop glorifying Jeffrey Dahmer and all this stuff. But the reality is that the true crime demographic is overwhelmingly female. And fascinated. And fascinated fascinated. So it does make sense. I don't, when I go to Home Depot or something, I don't think about getting, you know, perhaps getting raped in the parking lot or assaulted. You know, that's the last thing I'm thinking of. You know what I'm saying? But you guys have to think about that shit all the time. So I don't know. Crazy. We were talking about true crime in this episode. Yep. If you look at the 80s and 70s horror, horror paperbacks, and I'm not an expert, but he is, you'll see what we talked about last time. You see, like, there's a, there's a phase with dolls there's like a phase with, with um, demon children. And th- this is, is all there
1: a clown one as well.
0: There's Satan, Satan's mistress, all this stuff, you know, Satan was huge and they all kind of come. <laughs>
1: he was huge. <laughs>
0: they all kind of like, you know, come in. Uh... Oh, I had that one the, in the name of the father.
1: Oh yeah. 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 You do. Yeah.
0: But they all kind of come you in. we were
1: pretty pumped when you found that one.
0: They all kind of <laughs> come in waves and like exorcism right here. So this was seventies and eighties. However, in the nineties, something really interesting happened the the paperback designs and even the content in them the stories themselves got really gory and not just like demons and stuff like that but it got uh it got uh true crime-ish
2: serial killers um they have a weird i mean there's real ones and there's fictional ones right yeah so when you get to like uh fictional serial killers um you know one of the things that's really interesting is they're really—they felt like they came out of nowhere in the seventies and eighties. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you look at the sixties, and there were only like twenty reported serial killers in that hmm. decade, and then in the seventies there were like hundred and twenty, and the eighties it doubled up almost to like two hundred. And part of that was because the diagnostic of the FBI was looking at to really classify serial killers was getting refined and, and, and applied better and. You know, cold cases and cases mm-hmm. that were marked as unsolved were, were, you know, falling under that rubric and they were looking at them through that lens. But they felt like they came out of nowhere.
0: At one point, it's like Satan and demons and the Amityville horror, like houses are haunted, ghouls, all kinds of stuff. But it it, it was fictional. I mean, all of it's fictional, but it had no linkage to reality. And then all of a sudden, would you like to take a guess of the uh, the main culprit behind the push to more realistic stories that, yeah, they're not true crime, but they read like true crime?
1: I, well, I was gonna, uh, you mean movie or book?
0: Either. Mo- most of these ha- are... I was
1: thinking maybe the Halloween series, like Michael Myers.
0: That's still in the 80s, but that's a okay. good guess. Have you ever read this book? I have Not read this book. This book right here is what he's going to talk about.
1: Oh, Red Dragon. So
0: if you've seen Silence of the Lambs.
1: Yes.
0: That's the, the guy that wrote that. Red Dragon being the, the first edition. Yeah, Red Wait, Dragon
1: came out right after. It came out after Silence of the Lambs. Did it? So. I'm
0: pretty sure Red Dragon was the prequel. Yes. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, That's the one with um Ralph Fiennes, the guy who plays Voldemort.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha.
1: And he's got the tattoo all over his back. Uh,
0: yeah, 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 that guy.
1: Red Dragon was
2: early 80s, which was the first Thomas Harris novel. And that book did so well and made such a huge impression. Um, but it really had a giant impact on horror writers, because it's one of those books that's sort of like there's some musicians who's like a musician's musician, like, it's like The Velvet Underground. They didn't sell that many albums, but man, everyone who bought one of those albums started a band. Yeah. And it's like all these horror writers read Red Dragon and thought, wow, this is a way to take what looks like, you know, these sordid kind of serial killer crimes that seem to be everywhere and to really apply some art to it. And Red Dragon's an amazing, amazing book. And then Silence of the Lambs, you know, Thomas Harris's follow-up book, came out in 88, which was right when horror was looking around for something new and the splatterpunk move that was just starting out, which put the focus on gore. And, um, and that book won all the big awards. And then in 91, you know, it swept the Oscars. And it was kind of like... It was almost like for the first time since The Exorcist in 73, 74, there was this cultural phenomenon that was brand new in horror. Like there have been trends. There have been the Omen and Evil Kids or the Amityville Horror and Haunted Houses and Stephen King. but.
0: Yeah. So isn't that crazy? Interesting. Yeah. So I guess what he's saying is the the change really happened in culture, and then the the writers put an art to it is what he was saying. Mm. So there was this amount of serial killers in the sixties, and then the seventies, eighties. The eighties is when we saw the satanic panic and like, right. you know, Richard Ramirez and all those guys, which we haven't covered yet, but he was like the big guy, the mm-hmm. Satan guy. And then and then the horror. Horror, which at that time during the the height of the serial killers, which everyone's looking around everywhere to make sure there's not one lurking in their street, that's when the the novel writers started adapting that to, to make it more artful, I guess.
1: That is so interesting how that happens.
0: Yeah. But chapter eight in this book is called, and if you if you don't read horror, I see I don't know what I never heard of this splatter punks. Me neither. Yeah. So this chapter eight is splatter punks. Serial killers and super creeps. The covers, if you look, like let me show you a cover. Like this is in like the 70s and 80s. They go from genres like this, like covers like crabs, you know, demonic crabs. But then with the rise of the serial killers in America, they go from that to, to kill you know, riff. Ki- really serial killers, right? Yeah. Like,
1: it's it's a humid, not an object, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, and a lot of the the books being like horror this is a thing in horror a lot of these books they there's really no guidelines like there's this book hell house by uh richard matheson and it's is basically reading a porno with demons i mean it's just like a big orgy in a house you know so with the rise of the serial killer in these books from what he's saying it seems like they were just writing you know what everyone's fearing anyway if women are reading it anyway they're going to write about getting raped and getting killed and all this stuff mm-hmm. so i asked him about that and let's see what he said
2: this was the first time there was something that was huge and mainstream right it wasn't just like your weird friends watching silence of the lambs but your mom watched silence of the lambs you know yeah. it won an oscar won like mm-hmm. eight oscars um and so boom out of nowhere i mean publishing has never seen a hit that it doesn't want to replicate and run into the ground until it's beating a dead horse. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden there've been all this groundwork with serial killers. It was laid and it was like, boom. Hmm. All right, serial killers it is. And that was it. I mean, that was all horror was pretty much 90% of it for most of the early 90s in publishing. And, and, from and you then know, on, they yeah. ran that right into the ground because a lot of those books put the emphasis, like they sort of harness that splatterpunk extreme gore yeah. thing. Um, they were really into pushing back to keep it tied in the Satanic panic against the moral majority. You know, there was a real pushback against this feeling that like these con- Christian conservatroids are like are, are are ruining our lives, and we got to fight back and and so let's let's stick it to them and really rub their faces in in gore and and sort of like depravity and you know and a lot of it, unfortunately, the gender politics were. Awful. Like a lot of it was male authors and Mm, they were just women getting raped and murdered and tortured and having their genitals mutilated like on every page. Yeah. Um, And a lot. It's interesting. Several of the cover artists who I know who were women were like, yeah, I kind of moved over to romance novels because that was the only other place that was doing fully painted covers. And the horror covers just got too gross. They just got too mean. Yeah. Um, they got really mean spirited. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was this really interesting moment. And
1: man, he knows a lot about.
0: <laughs> I mean, he wrote a whole book. Yeah, about it.
1: no kidding. Damn.
0: And honestly, murder and rape go really hand in hand. Like literally every story that I've covered with a guy, you know, killing a female. It always, it always seems to happen. Mm you know i don't I, I guess it's like a bestial kind of gene you, do you know what i'm saying like it happens a lot and a lot of the killers when they're getting interrogated they they kind of forget to mention that or they don't want to talk about it you know
1: hmm, interesting but
0: the fact is that yeah they usually go and do that you know what i'm saying wow so it, what i'm trying to say is they that is linked like killing and and rape is like real close and linked yeah. yeah interlinked i
1: think really interesting like that he's talking about the fact that this it's a, it's a cultural shift in like how what has been described as horror it's gone from like kind of um a personified object or demon just to the serial killer age and like that has now like that and when you think of a horror movie oftentimes you think of a serial killer in some way like sure he might be you know possessed or deranged or whatever Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Halloween series Freddy you know whatever like all of those are serial killers even if they Mm -hmm. have like some sort of deformity or demon demonic trait yeah it's interesting really interesting
0: yeah and a lot of them got it got more realistic so Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon Mm -hmm. there's no demonic possession
1: right it's just somebody that fucked
0: up. Yeah. And that story was inspired, I would imagine, I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine by Ed Gein. I know Psycho was-, was I think we uh, talked
1: about Silence of the Lambs was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ed
0: Gein kind of like, uh, he's the one that opened the door for all this stuff, With the I would buff- say. Well,
1: Buffalo Bill is sewing, right? Yeah. The sewing skin. Sewing yeah, yeah, the skin, That was, yeah. that was definitely a good old Eddie.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, but someone has to do it first. No one's going to be able to, to write this stuff unless some someone breaks that mold and starts wearing your face, wearing people's faces as masks. You know what I'm saying? Like someone has to do that. Otherwise, no one's going to think of it on their own. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, the horror perspectives have changed over time. And this is what he says. This is about like the new horror movie producers and writers and stuff like that.
1: Which you don't like new horror films.
0: I know, well, so, no, I know. I don't. It's not that I don't like new horror films. I just, I can see like they don't really put much into the story anymore. It's all effects. Mm-hmm. It's like all those Marvel movies. All of that stuff is done behind a green screen. But if you, if you take a horror movie, a brand new one that uses jump scares and all kinds of, you know, cin- cinematic tricks to, to kind of get you on your seat and you take that and then you compare it to any like Alfred Hitchcock movie, the story just doesn't even come close. Like right. Alfred Hitchcock cock could do that without all that effects and green screens and jump scares and everything and he can make you way more terrified than you know whatever the next horror movie is that you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. I don't know I just it's not that I don't like them I just don't like how I feel like a lot of them are like cooked up by committee and they're not really the story isn't there yeah it's, it's just you know what I'm saying the I mean, story we not there. watched
1: a few really good gems um this past October season so I, I don't know yeah. if I think uh, at least every Everyone that's on the live chat here knows uh, it, it's kind of like a, our tradition for probably the last three years now. Um, it'll be going on four to watch Halloween and that is John's favorite time. So every night we might be doing other things at the same time, but we put on a horror movie like mm-hmm. we get our shutter subscription going and we we saw a couple really good ones like one you know, kind of bizarro 60s and 70s ones but still interesting. And I would say Martin agrees uh, and Courtney does, too. Uh, Martin says uh, they don't make them like they used to, John. Absolutely right. And Courtney says filmmakers have gotten so lazy and they've increased their budgets drastically. (laughs) It's a fantastic point. Um, And I did want to mention before you jump into this clip, I really loved um, Martin's point that he shared. um, Like the real monsters aren't necessarily in the movie. They're real people.
0: That's interesting. Yeah.
1: And I think like it it is crazy from you know, Silence of the Lambs, too. You, You said that there's there that was not a demonic like that was just like a a person that was fucked up killing people
0: yeah or we did the Ed Gein the Ed Gein podcast so I did a lot of research on that or the Ed Gein story but I will say he did Ed Gein that story directly influenced Robert Block who wrote the book Psycho who Alfred Hitchcock produced and I want to say like that that story if you have seen Psycho which you you definitely need to if you Mm -hmm. haven't Mm -hmm. because it is scared the hell out of you but the reason Reason that the guy. Do you remember his name? Do you remember the the actual character's name? The, the, um, the killer. Uh... So his so his name is Norman Bates. Yes. There and, the, you go. and the reason he made his name Norman is because it's like normal, right? Normal. His mother's name is Norma. So th- what I'm trying to say is this is the most basic guy. This is the every guy, the guy that you see at the post office. This is the guy that you that's checking out your groceries. He is the every guy. You know, what I'm saying like mm-hmm. and that right there is the scariest thing to go into Martin's point, you know, like where it's the people that's the scariest freaking thing man
1: more great points are being made so let me just make sure I call them out before you jump into the next clip um, Sydney also shared about the horror movie stuff people have gotten more stupid and so it makes it easier to make terrible movies I mean it's a good point people need if you're going to hold somebody's attention people's attention spans yeah. are you know, fra- you know terrible now and so a good story line isn't enough
0: that's true there are
1: some insightful ass things happening today Yeah,
2: I kind of feel like in the 90s that sort of flamed out you know what I mean, this obsession with serial killers the crossover to like music with people like Marilyn Manson and and White Zombie and stuff Um, this sort of like um, you know, Slipknot and everything this like horror movie bubble like everything just sort of flamed out you know, it's like um, and, and so it's this interesting moment where everything got pushed to the edge and then kind of broke and to me, what's interesting about that narrative is kind of the best thing that happened to horror in the 90s. I mean, there's this, in publishing, horror died. I mean, circa 95, the lines were all shut down. No one was publishing, anything It was gone. Yeah. Movies were, were unless it was a serial killer movie or a thriller, there were almost no supernatural horror movies that were really mainstream or hits. They, they died in the 90s, um, but where horror lived, was on TV. And it lived in shows like The X-Files and Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm, and yeah. stuff like that. And what was really interesting about that stuff is a huge part of its audience were, were young women. And they were watching this stuff in like charm. And they were watching this stuff and realizing horror didn't just have to be gross. Horror could also be funny. Horror could be romantic. Horror could be comforting. And so I feel like a lot of those kids are now the people consuming and producing horror now, hmm. and they have such a different perspective on what horror can and should be and what it can do than people like me who grew up in the 70s and 80s when what horror could do was shock you and be outrageous and be scary. Yeah, It's like you look at paranormal romance. I mean, here are stories about were-tigers getting married to vampire hunters, and like you're like, what? How has how has horror changed? Like that's crazy. Um, but it, I think it really came out of that that '90s thing when it was suddenly on TV, and it was like, oh, horror can do more than just be outrageous and and scary. It can it can. It can be comfort food. It can be funny. It
0: can be, it doesn't have to be gory. I mean, he's like the prime example of, yeah, of funny.
1: Yeah, exactly. I do want to watch the uh, adaptation of the book that is on Amazon prime that he did. Oh, My best friend's exorcism. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I will say the best book that I believe he has, and maybe other people think differently, but Brady Hendricks, he wrote this book called horror store. Yeah. It's, it's really entertaining. It's funny, but it's also scary, but it reminds me of you He's seen that movie uh, or if he's seen that show, super store. It's the same type of thing cuz
1: but with a horror twist.
0: Yeah, so the whole novel, just to give you a little synopsis, it takes place in this IKEA establishment, mm-hmm. this big old warehouse of IKEA and, you know, things start happening there, but you the characters are all, you know, they're they're relatable and kind of how a superstore that show superstore would be.
1: Speaking of judging a book by its cover cuz that is one book that has a phenomenal cover. You should type it into the Google machine For people to see what the cover horror store.
0: Do you think that is a great cover?
1: Yeah, you don't think so? I think it's sick. I I mean, I think it's a phenomenal cover. Yeah,
0: I'll type it in. Um, this is the cover you were asking about. So it's like I think
1: it's awesome. Can you
0: (laughs) make it bigger? Um, I mean, yeah.
1: There you go. I think that's such a cool freaking cover. Yeah, you
0: see the over here.
1: Yes. And it has like the price on it. It looks just like a an IKEA. Yeah, yeah, um, that's what it's supposed to be. It's I know fr- it's awesome. I freaking love it.
0: Yeah, that's a really good book. That was the second one I read. So I read this one, Paperbacks from Hell, like all the way through. You're not gonna be able to put this one down, literally. And and
1: that one has so many pictures and cover art. In yeah, it, like, so I love that. And too. don't
0: you can't. I mean, there's an audio book on this one, that's but it's not y-
1: gonna work. It's not
0: gonna, gonna work, I man. I don't even know. But I mean, this is just the covers, and you saw like how expensive these damn things are. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that one's like 700 bucks.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy.
0: I mean, and you remember when we were talking to him at the show and what he's trying to do is take a lot of these and republish them.
1: So that they're not five hundred dollars. Yeah. And
0: he was, you know, he was like, every time I go into the used bookstore, it seems like the horror paperback horror rack is cleaned out. And I'm like, well, why do you think, dude? It's your
1: (laughs) book, man. (laughs) It is 100 percent because of your book.
0: It is because like. And we
1: go to this same used bookstore that he would go to mm. and and yes John did try to clean out anything that they that she had at uh, that bookstore.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean usually there's some good stuff but
1: we haven't gone in a while we need to take a trip back soon
0: yeah but anyway that's that is uh, kind of how true crime is linked. Alright sweet well,
1: oh Brandon missed it sorry Brandon
0: oh man well let's start it over I'm just kidding you know so anyway I hope you guys like that and until next time night, you lovely lovely people